While our kids are leaving, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. That's where we'll be today. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. I will put one in your hand. Don't be ashamed to raise your hand because you might have forgotten yours, left yours, or just need one. We'll put one in your hand right now. I love that you folks are bringing your Bibles. All right, Acts chapter 3. I will just say this right off the top. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, It is, uh, again, just good to celebrate you moms today. I will tell you that we are not doing a one-off Mother's Day sermon. uh, And and all God's mothers said... (laughs) Yeah, amen, hallelujah, we are, we are not doing that today because typically it goes to Proverbs 31 and we just heap either more things on top of you that you feel like it's hard to live up to and so you leave here with more despair than joy. And so we are not doing a Proverbs 31 sermon uh, for you uh, today. Uh, mothers need good doctrine and good gospel preaching just as much as anybody else. And all the moms said what? Amen. Yeah, amen, that's right. And so Uh, On this day, just like any other Sunday, we're going to preach faithfully or try to preach as faithfully as we can to the text. And so uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 11 is where we will pick up. Our our main text uh, will be in uh, 19 to 26, but I'm actually going to back up to verse 11 uh, and start and kind of get a running go because this chapter 3 is really all encompassed together. And so it's imperative that we understand what uh, what the writer was talking about here in, uh, as Luke was pinning this for us. Here's what the text says in verse 11. Uh, while he clung to Peter and John, so, you know, who's he talking about here when he says, while he clung to Peter and John, who's he talking about? The lame man, yes, thanks for saying that plainly. Uh, the lame man who was healed by Jesus, uh, or actually uh, healed in Jesus' name uh, uh, with Peter and John present, uh, he, the Bible says that he clung to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And then in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Let me stop right there. He glorified his servant Jesus. And he was reminding people, if you'll think about who's following him and who is listening to him talk of this, this this is Jewish people who are uh, listening to him speak at the time. And so he is reminding the Jewish people that, hey, this is about Jesus, This man being able to walk is not about our own power. This man being able to walk and all the miracle that you just saw is not about us at all, but it's about Jesus, the God of uh, of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. And so he's reminding them, he's just reminding them that, hey, the one that you have put to death, and he's going to say that in a minute, is the one that did this actual miracle. He goes on, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And again, so he reminds them that this Jesus who he's talking about, this Jesus who caused this miracle to happen is the one that you denied before Pilate, is the one that you asked for a prisoner to be released for, uh, instead of Jesus. He is the one who caused this lame man who you've, you've been seen your entire life, he's the one that caused this man to be able to walk. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Uh, and uh, so he says, 
you denied Jesus, you went for the murder. And then in 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And so he didn't talk about the Roman government. He didn't talk about the Romans crucifying him. He didn't talk about the Romans scourging him. He looked square in the face to those people who were listening to him. And he said, you are the one who murdered Jesus. It was you who put him to death. Verse 16, and his name And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man, the lame man, strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Then he says this in 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's like, you were ignorant whenever you did the things that you did. You didn't really know any better because you just acted out of ignorance. But you did it. But it's still your responsibility. I'll say this to some of you today. Some of you do not follow Jesus. Though it is clearly, plainly seen that there is a God who sets the world into orbit and causes the sun to rise and the sun to set in the same way every day, he is the one who tells the oceans how far they can come up on the beach line and when they can overflow the beach line. He is the one who sets the planets in motion. He is the one who holds it all together by the power of his word. Yet some of you sitting in this room today still deny that there is a God who holds it all into place. Not unlike these people did at the time. And he says, I know that you acted in ignorance. And I know that some of you here are not believing the truth about the gospel because your eyes have been blinded your mind has been, set, has been clouded by our enemy because we do have an enemy that does not want you to believe. And today, he has sent me here today, God has sent me here today to tell you that there is hope and there is truth and it is found in the risen Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. He says, now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled, but you did the act. Then we get into today's text in verse 19. Uh, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. He's talking about the Older Testament. He said, all the prophets that passed Samuel, they've been declaring this very same truth to you over. They've been talking about this very same one over and over again. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Listen to verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every, every one of you from your wickedness. That is the word of the Lord. So we jump right back into starting today's sermon where we left off last week's sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And he said, I want you to do this very thing. I want you to repent. I want you to turn back that your sins may be forgiven. Why? Because you denied Jesus. 
because you chose a murderer to be released instead of Jesus, because your actions caused Jesus to be killed, and because you are ignorant and without excuse. He didn't mince any words. We shouldn't mince words from a pulpit. We're talking about eternal things whenever we declare what the scriptures say. Not something to play around with. And Peter felt the same way. And so he declared these things, three key things that he says in this text today. He says, repent, turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. So let's talk about the first one, repent. Repent, it is a verb to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. That's a dictionary uh, definition about repentance. Now, let me tell you about what repentance is not. Because I think it's under, uh, we, we have to understand, especially in the religious South, where many of us have grown up in church, or some of us have kind of played church along the way, and we've heard enough church terminology that we think we understand what some of these terms mean and what some of these biblical truths are, but sometimes we don't really fully understand them. First thing, uh, repentance is not just a said faith. Do you know what a said faith is? Why don't I just tell you what a said faith is? Uh, a said faith is someone who declares myself to be a Christian. I, 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 uh, I was a, uh, we were part of Acts 20, the Acts 29 network for a long time. And so you're like, Acts 29, Acts 29. Aren't there only 28 chapters in Acts, preacher? Yes, there are only 28 chapters in Acts. Uh, but Acts 29, their tagline in the beginning was, the story continues. Because that's really what's going on. The church gets birthed in Acts, what we're preaching through now. And Acts 29 was saying, the Holy Spirit is still at work saving people, planting churches, more people coming to know Jesus. And we were part of Acts 29 up until just recently. But there was uh, the guy that founded Acts 29 and uh, the guy who followed him in, uh, to be the president of Acts 29 were Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler. And they always had a discussion over who had the tougher job. Driscoll, who was in Seattle, Washington, far west, uh, C Seattle, who had the tougher job, him in Seattle or Matt Chandler in Dallas, Texas? Like, well, what's the difference, preacher? Well, Driscoll would say that in Seattle, Washington, that people didn't care to tell you that they weren't Christians. They, they, didn't, they didn't pretend. They didn't, they didn't uh, succumb to any kind of religious talk. They would just tell you straight up, hey, I'm not a Christian. I don't have any desire to know what you have to say as a Christian. And he said, so I, he said, that's a tough job up there because, man, nobody's overly receptive to even showing up for a church meeting. And in Dallas, that Matt Chandler would say, he said, where everybody thinks they're a Christian. He said, so which is the tougher job? Where people just know they're not Christians and don't have an, a desire to know about Jesus? Or in Dallas, where everybody thinks they're a Christian? We're much more like Dallas here in Memphis than we are like Seattle where everybody goes around and goes, hey man, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It's a cultural Christianity many times in, uh, in our context here in the Memphis area. And so what, what uh, repentance is, is not just a said faith. Repentance is not just something that I declare that I'm going to say, yeah man, I, 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 I'm a Christian. I know who Jesus is. I go to church. I have the same faith as my mama does. 
a said faith, where you can look at a person and go, man, bro, there is nothing different about you. Like the scripture teaches us that there should be something different about us if, if we have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus that we should live differently. We're going to baptize people today, and at the end of our baptism time, we give each person the sign who has been baptized that says, live differently. Because what we're called to as Christians. So not just a said faith, we call it golden ticket theology here at Refuge, where you go, man, I've said these words somewhere along the way, and one day I'm going to flip out my golden ticket on God one day and go, remember that thing I did? I lived the way I wanted to, but I've got my golden ticket because of the way that, because that thing I did when I was seven. The scripture says that our lives are called to be different. We're called to live differently because the spirit of God moves in and lives within us if we have truly repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. So not just a said faith, not just a golden ticket theology, not just asking Jesus into our hearts. All right, I'm gonna hurt some of your feelings. So just toughen up right now. Can everybody say, I'm tough? Say that for me. I'm tough, preacher. Say it. I don't like the terminology, ask Jesus into your heart. Neither does Siri. <laughs> I don't like the terminology. You know why I don't like the terminology? Why would you think that I would not like that terminology? Not, it's not found in the scriptures. Nowhere. Will you find in the scriptures, ask Jesus into your heart? Nowhere. Well, preacher, you know what it means. You know what? I know what a lot of things mean. I'm smart. <laughs> I'm not. I'm really not. Uh, that's not found in the scriptures. And so we say, why would we use different words than what we find in the scriptures? Why would we use different terminology about the most important thing that you will ever do eternally and use different words than what we find in the scriptures? We don't, we, we don't, say, we don't use that terminology here. If you say those terminology, I'll probably go, you mean you repented and believed? You repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus? You repented of your sins and believed the gospel? That's biblical language. And that's the language we use here. I'm not here to hurt your feelings. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you use those words. That's not what that means. I'm just saying, let's use biblical terminology. Whenever we talk about our saving faith, whenever we talk about having repented, having uh, turned from our sins and put our faith and trust in, G in Jesus. Jesus used this language to repent and believe. And I think if Jesus used the language, I probably will too. And so should you. Amen? All right, good. Secondly, uh, he says repent. Secondly, he says this, turn back, a verb to turn back, to go back in the direction from which one has come. I'll never forget Adrian Rogers. I used to go to Bellevue. I became a Christian there. And um, uh, Adrian Rogers would always use this, not always, but uh, many times he would use this terminology. He said, repentance is you're walking in one way. And he said, repentance is turning around and going the other way. That's the way he would do it every time. Except in a much cooler preacher voice than mine. Uh, but, but repentance is also, as, as uh, the writer says, to turn back, to change direction. Salvation involves change. We're going to baptize three people today, which is their public acknowledgement of an inner reality that's going on in their life, that they have, they have moved from death to life. And so in that, salvation 
involves change. What we expect to see out of these three young people, out of these three uh, young adults uh, as we baptize them today is that there will be a change in their life because they are now born again, because they have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in the only one who can save them. And the same thing should be said for each of us if we claim to know Jesus. If we're a follower of Jesus, there should be something where we have turned away from our sins. Paul talks about this regularly. As a matter of fact, let's turn to Colossians and see what he says. Turn to the right from Acts. Uh, this is the corn and God eats popcorn. Come on. Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 I'm going to read you essentially the first part of chapter 3 because this is important. Because it talks about this very thing, this turning back. Here's what it says. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. Your old self has died. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, which means it's protected. It's, it, it is together. You've gone, you have entered into a place with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Then he talks about the things that should happen to us as followers of Jesus, things that are actively should be going on in our lives as followers of Jesus. He says, put to death, put to death, not hibernate it, not, hey, stick it in the closet somewhere, I can go back to it later, not set it on a shelf, not uh, uh, put it in safekeeping somewhere, but he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives a list. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You know when he says that? Covetousness, when we want something we don't have, we want something that somebody else has. He says that's idolatry because we have such a desire when it becomes covetousness that it becomes the most important thing in our life. And he says, put that to death because you set that thing as your highest value. Verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. So Paul in, in Colossians is talking to Christians. He says, in these things, you too once walked. You used to be part of this. This used to be part of your life when you were living in them. But now you have put them all away. And then he gives another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all in all. He's like, hey, th this is not just for a select group other than Christians. And Christians run the gamut of different types of people groups. Then he gets into 12. He says, these are the things you put off. Now in verse 12, he said, these are the things that you put on. And he gives a list. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each another, another go and tell the, your neighbors and go and tell other people and go and tell the people that you work with and whisper behind their back. Isn't that what it says? Is that what the text says? 
No, it says, if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know what I, I tell people all the time, and I preach this to myself first. If God, is forgiving, if God is willing to forgive a sinner like me who sins against him, who am I to hold something against someone else? If the God who spoke the universe into existence and holds it together by the power of his word, who lived a sinless life and died on a cross for my sins and was raised from the dead, if he is willing to forgive me of my sins, who am I to set myself higher above him and be unwilling to forgive anybody else for anything they've done to me? And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, just he says, uh, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so back to our text today, uh, uh, repentance and, and the uh, turning back means that we change directions in our life. And we put off the old things and we put on the new things. And then he gives the, the third thing, he says, so that your sins may be blotted out. The dictionary version of that is to wipe out and destroy, kind of like Arlington did Collierville this last weekend. Amen. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he says, he says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So Peter is saying, I want you to have great remorse over your sin that caused Jesus to have to die Turn back from your wicked and sinful ways so that your sins may be wiped out, so that your sins may be destroyed by the only one who can, and that is the risen Jesus. And so Peter spoke boldly to them about their sin. I mean, he, he spoke very straightforward to them about what it was that they were sinning, but he didn't want them to just feel bad. He wanted, that was not his goal. The goal was to encourage them to repent and believe. Repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience who did not believe. They did not believe that Jesus was their Messiah. And I'm speaking to some of you today who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you need a Savior. Peter goes on in verse 20 and says this, That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed, to you, appointed for you, Jesus. And so what is this time of refreshing? And so most theologians, most people who commentated on this thing, I think this was one of the most difficult verses, set of verses to kind of figure out exactly what it meant. Uh, but most said, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, where Jesus comes back to rule on the earth, to rule and to reign. And I, I love the, uh, uh, the way the scriptures uh, talk about Jesus coming back, uh, comes, coming back on a white horse with, and he's got these tattoos on his legs that say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm like, this is an awesome picture. I love that picture of Jesus, our conquering King coming back. Now I'll sidebar here really quick. Um, we don't stand on the, on the, on the uh, a belief 
that there's this secret taking out of the church. Uh, we don't believe that there's some secret taking out of the church. You may have heard that your entire life, that there's, you know, you, you got influenced by the Left Behind movies and all those kind of things like that, and your preacher that you grew up in may have lit, landed on that, and he may have hammered that home for you, but I don't believe that that's what the Scripture teaches us, uh, and, and it mainly comes from Thessalonians, from Paul's letter to the, Thessal uh, the church at Thessalonica where the scripture does say, you know, that talk, it's, it's typically something that gets said around a funeral when somebody dies, that the, that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and, and, uh, and then the, those of us who remain will be caught up in the air, and forever we will be the, with the Lord. And so many people take that scripture and says, well, there's something, there's going to be a, there's going to be this secret taking out of the church, uh, and they mix it with some revelation, some apocalyptic uh, 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 verbiage and revelation, and they've come up with this systematic way of saying there's some secret taking out of the church. I don't think that's what the scripture teaches at all. A, a, secret, a secret coming before the second coming. I don't believe there's a secret coming. I believe there's a second coming. And when Paul talks about the people being raised and to meet him in the air, they're talking about meeting the coming king, the king who is coming back King of kings, Lord of lords, to rule and to reign over all the earth. And yes, the dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are, are, are remain will be caught up with him in the air. Just like they would have understood during this time the way that they would go out and meet their conquering king. But when, when a king would go out and win a battle and win a war, what would happen is all the people would leave their city and they would go out and meet their conquering king and have this big parade coming back into where they were, the city that they just conquered. And they would be celebrating with their king. And I believe, and, I, and I, I stand on this, that that's what the scripture teaches us about Jesus coming back again. Not a secret taking out. You've got to read some real jumps and circles and all kind of things to get to that in the text. But if you read it for what it is, those of us who are in Christ Jesus meet him in the air and return with our conquering king to set up the new earth, heavens and the new earth here on, on this earth. Sit in that one. If you're mad at me, take it up with the Lord. So Peter says that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. And, and, and so I believe as, as Peter is speaking to the Jewish people, he said, hey, this Christ came for you. He was appointed to come to you, the Jewish people. But uh, he said, Jesus is gone back until you actually come back in. Look what it says in verse 21. Uh, uh, whom heaven must receive until the time uh, for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He said, this second coming of Jesus is not going to appear yet because heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so what is this time of restoring all things. I, I think it's described by some prophets as they, as they talk about this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. Honestly, I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read verses uh, 5, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 1 through 6. I'm going to read 5 and 6 from Isaiah. You can go back and read that whole thing in Isaiah. But 5 and 6 says, At that time, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and, and streams in the desert. He's talking about that's going to be the, that's what's going to be a result of our king coming back. Things getting set back in their right and proper order. 
Uh, he goes on in Romans chapter 8 and talks about this thing Paul writes about the restoration of all things in Romans chapter 8. Here's what he says. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That the glory of God is going to be revealed to us sometime, even though we're suffering now, Paul says, uh, the glory of God is going to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility at the fall in Genesis chapter 3, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. He, uh, uh, Paul was like, man, we are longing for this day. We are longing for the day that Jesus comes back. And that's the same thing uh, that Luke had penned for us here, in, uh, that Peter had said in uh, Acts chapter 3. And then one last one, uh, Revelation chapter 21, 5, uh, John recorded Jesus as saying, Behold, what? I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. All these things that have come, and they're part of the, the corrupt uh, sin has corrupted. He says, I have come to make all things new. Listen, follow Jesus. The time is coming. This world is, is just something that we're passing through. The restoration of all things will occur at some point. And that includes his people. That includes his people, those who have moved from death to life, those who have repented of their sins and believed the gospel, those who have put their entire trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. That time is coming. Behold, Jesus says, I am making all things new. He goes on in Acts chapter 3 and says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that very soul who does not listen that the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim his days. And so in our text, Peter is pointing people to Jesus reminding them that God had promised the coming Messiah through Moses and he promised him through all the Old Testament prophets that had come before him. And that when the, whenever this promised one came, that he would begin to put all things back together. Samuel and other prof, uh, prophets announced these things. And if you'll remember from our Minor Prophet series, Malachi talked about the coming Messiah who would set everything back in motion. And so these prophecies, they were not irrelevant for the people who were hearing this. Again, they were the ones who were given the prophets and the scriptures. They were not irrelevant. They understood what he was talking about. And they had needed to understand that it was not only just Messiah they were talking about, that he was to come, but that he had already come. That Jesus had come onto the scene. That's the point that Peter was making. That Messiah has come. They just missed him. Some of you are missing him. Some of you are missing him. Some of you are looking around for everything else. Signs, wonders, 
miracles, something different. You're looking for something different. You're trying to invest your life into something different to give you fulfillment in something else. And you're missing the Messiah, the lover of your soul, the one who gave his life so that you can have life. You're missing him. It's Jesus that they spoke about in the book of Acts. It's Jesus who we proclaim to you today. He is our hope. He is our deliverer. He is our Messiah. He is the only hope. Peter goes on in verse 25 and 26 and says, You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, goes all the way back to Abraham, and your offsprings, and in your offspring, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so he reminds those listening, again, the Jewish people, you're the sons of the prophets. You had the prophets. You didn't listen to the prophets, but you're the offspring of the prophets. You're the partakers of the covenant that God had made. And he was hoping that he would turn them away from his wickedness. My hope is that some of you will turn from your wickedness. That today, the Spirit of God might open your ears to hear the plea that was being made, that Peter was making with them, the plea that I am making with you today to turn from your wickedness, to see the deliverer of your soul has come. That it is Jesus and him alone who can do this very thing. So because of this, because they were blind to it, many rejected Jesus not only once, but twice. Many called for his resurrection. They denied, uh, called for his crucifixion. They denied his resurrection. And, and Peter declared unapologetically at the last verse, he says this, every soul who would not hear that prophet would be utterly destroyed. Let me say that again. Every soul that will not hear and take in and believe this prophecy will be utterly destroyed. But he says, in this Messiah... All of the world can and will be blessed if we turn to this Messiah. Meaning not only did the Jewish people have an opportunity to follow the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, but so did the Gentiles now, those who were non-Jews. He was saying that, yes, you Jewish people that I'm talking to, but yes, also the Gentile people, and the Gentile people include all of us sitting here listening, who are watching me online right now. All of us have that same opportunity. And so you say, so what? Get to it, preacher. Here's what we read about. The lame man who we read about in the beginning of chapter 3 was at the beautiful gate and he wanted something. He was, he was longing and desiring something, but God... But God wanted to give him something much greater. The same was generally true of the Jewish people that Peter had preached to. Their expectation that the Messiah would come in a specific way as the ruler and a conqueror who would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. But God wanted to give them something much 
greater. And today, God wants to do the same thing for you and me. Whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever that thing is that you're longing for, whatever the thing is you're, you're living out your days for, it's a, a new job, if there's family peace that needs to come into our family, to heal a sickness, to maybe to grant you children, whatever that thing that your heart longs for, all these things can be good things. But God wants to give you something much greater. Eternal life. Eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul talks about that if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are of all men most foolish. And I would agree with that. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if he did not die on a cross for our sins, be buried, bear our sin debt, and God raise him from the dead, if that is not true, then we are of all men most foolish and we are wasting our time. But he goes on to say in uh, chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ shall all be made alive. There was one way that we all die, and that was in the sin of Adam, which has spread to all of us. By birth, we are all sinners because of the sin of Adam. One way, we all became sinners. And there is one way for our sins to be forgiven. And that is to put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. There is hope found in Jesus. We started and ended, uh, uh, we started and ended both last week's sermon and this week's sermon with uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. So I'll reiterate what I said last week. Repent of your sins and stop your rebellion against our Creator. Turn back from the pathway that you find yourself on. Turn back means to repent of our sins, repent of your rebellion. You say, why, preacher? Why should I repent? Why should I ask this God who I've been running for, that I've been running away from for my entire life, why should I turn to Him to be forgiven for something? Why? So that your sins may be forgiven. So that you will not be utterly destroyed as our text told us last week and tells us again this week. Listen, my friend. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And there was no forgiveness of sins by simply shedding the blood of bulls and goats as we read about in the Older Testament. All that was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All those were just types and shadows pointing to the precious Lamb of God who lived the sinless life that, that we have to live. Listen, you, you may be sitting there thinking, preacher, you don't know me. I'm a good person. I do good stuff. I help people. You don't know me, bro. I may not know you, but the creator of all things who holds it all together knows you. And he knows your heart. And he knows where you live. He knows what kind of relationship you have or don't have with him. And today, the Spirit of God may be stirring in your own heart to go, come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn from these wicked ways. 
Find your hope found in the only one who gives hope. The only one who has come and lived the life that, we have to, that we're called to live, the sinless life that we're called to live, who shed his literal plush, precious blood to cover our sin debt so that we do not have to face the wrath of God. Instead, come to Jesus. Repent and turn away so that your sins may be blotted out. There is no heart that God cannot conquer. There is no life he cannot change. And there is no path, past he cannot forgive. Today, come to Jesus. Let's pray.